the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Halifax Breakdown Show. We got a ton of action fights, and they're all going down in the snow. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, delinquents and degenerates alike? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, the place where we break down high-level MMA, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst and writer for FlowCombat.com. Today we're going to be breaking down UFC Halifax. That's right up north in Canada. It's an action-packed card. Uh, looks like a potential hailstorm, potential firestorms maybe. Either way, we've got some action fighters and, and some potential action matchups, you know. Firestorms, they could evolve into uh, shitstorms, who knows. But a lot of them look like a lot of fun, let's be honest. And uh, let's dive in with it on the note of the explicit. Of course, i got to make sure I earn that right away. And I got to make sure I wake myself up. Um, so p- pardon my French. I just try to get myself uh, amped. Not that I'm not amped. It's just it's just early. It's a little easy to record these things early in the morning. And I was going to record it last night. That's right, Thursday night. But um, I wasn't feeling too good. The old the old brainaroo was shutting down on me. And to a point where I was like, I, I got to listen to this thing and give it some rest because it's heightened. And, um, and yeah, uh, so I figured be more rested. I am, got my, my coffee, my Musashi mug, a little bit of dark chocolate, um, yeah, yeah, I'm ready to rock, ready to rock, got my notes, got everything pulled up, we got some odds in front of us, and um, before we get to it, just a quick shout out, speaking of last Brooklyn, I forgot, the one shout out I guess I forgot on the last podcast, speaking of Brooklyn, um, my man Gabe Killian over at MMA Oddsbreaker cashed a pretty ticket. Uh, which I wish I cashed because me and Gabe had the same picks for this one. Um, but I'm not going to complain too much. Gabe, Gabe though, hit a real nice five-teamer for 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 a pretty penny. Uh, I'm not sure the amount, not that he probably minds I say it, but uh, he's, he posted it up in the chat. But uh, Gabe did well, and I can't complain even though I didn't play it. I did pretty well uh, last week for not playing that much um, with the picks, so... Yeah, I can't complain. Just wanted to give a shout-out to my man, Gabe Kelly, and make sure you follow him uh, doing work over there at Odds Breaker. And then uh, an, oh, a quick shout-out, of course, to my man, uh, well, the two men that are doing the road trip. Yes, they are uh, They are like fear and loathing in Las Vegas as they are probably on their way here as as we speak. Uh, uh, Dwayne Finley and, and Hunter Homestek, you know, like fear and loathing, but, you know, without the acid, well, hopefully... But, you know, they're not just kidding. No, they're actually uh, killing it um, if you're not following them, which you should on Twitter, at Hunter Homestek and at uh, Dwayne Finley. Uh, they're killing it over there with the FC road trip. They went to Albuquerque, uh, Alliance, uh, Kings MMA, uh, putting out a lot of content, a lot of cool stories, a lot of insights, a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff that if you're following Flow in the first place, that's you're probably already into that, so go check it out flowcombat.com. All right, now that the pleasantries are out of the way, um, let's start this bad boy from the bottom, It, which is actually the top of our fights to avoid list. We got Gerald Mearshart versus Canadian 
Janes, uh, Ryan Janes, I believe is his first name. Wow, Dan, you're really starting this thing off to a whopping. Why don't you pull the odds up? All right, pulling up the odds. Uh, yeah, it is Ryan Janes, who comes in at a plus 260 dog and Gerald Mearshart at a minus 320 favorite. I'm a fan of Mearshart. Um, I'm not sure if he should be that heavy of a favorite, though, so that's why a little uh, be weary uh, playing the favorite on this one. Um, again, these guys, uh, even though actually Mearshart, it's got a pretty nice sample size outside of the UFC, whereas, you know, Jane's been around just a little more sporadic, uh, but Mearshart's one of those guys that's kind of been just, you know, on the edge for a minute. Um, I, I did pick him against, you know, Jigliotti, and I even took him by sub because, you know, something I, I harp on when you had a guy who kind of gasses and he's a muscly arm guy and he's going against a submission guy, but not just a submission guy, a submission guy who has a lot of head and arm chokes, whether it's, um, you know, head and arm chokes <laughs> itself, uh, Darces, Anacondas, uh, etc. Because uh, a lot of times with these muscly arm guys, it doesn't take the same leverage it's a little more forgivable to close off the airways because they're so thickly built then you couple that with them kind of tiring that submission will kind of open up and although that scored with me uh last time i i can't get confident in backing this mission this time you know i don't believe that james is uh despite i think believe he's a black belt compared to mirshart's brown belt on paper i do believe mirshart's the better grappler james seems really good he's on top you know he's a big guy for the division he's got a real long frame knows how to use it but I'm not sure if he's going to be that great on on bottom and on the feet. Um, Mirshart looks a little awkward. He looks very hittable. Um, but he, he, I like his process and the way he kind of draws and encounters. When he finds his rhythm, I think he can start teeing off on Ryan Janes, who kind of keeps really upright. And, and speaking of awkward, Janes kind of has awkwardness about him too. And I don't mean that in a negative toward Janes or toward Mirshart, as I, as I mean it uh, toward each guy in a different way. But uh, I guess just his overall movement, because his technique's nothing obscene or anything. I'm talking about Jane's here, but uh, you know he's got kind of that the awkward rhythm. Maybe is a more more proper word to say it. But what I do like about Jane's is he's got kind of a fast process. Uh, he he puts you know when he finds his rhythm, uh, you know for better or worse, he doesn't let a punches stifle his objectives. He's really looking to get in and out kind of work, and you know those things, uh, volume and so forth, are things to look for because. It's what judges tend to look for, at least right now, and I know, especially after last weekend, I dare not, I dare fear even presume to know what a judge thinks, but generally speaking, uh, volume is good. Um, either way, uh, that's that's essentially the, the general cut on this match. Um, I'm avoiding it, and I suggest you should too. So that is the second fight card in a row where we only have one fight pass fight for one reason or the other, as the action takes us to FS1. We have the Welshman, Jack Marshman, making his second uh, sophomore appearance, coming in at a plus-160 dog against Tiago Mejeta Santos, who comes in at a minus-185 favorite, and the justified favorite. Um, you know, Santos is one of those guys, including myself, uh, but me and the kind of the gen pop, the general population, seem to kind of be up and down on this guy, but his performances kind of dictate that, right? And it's one of those weird, you know, not careers, but just, you know, look at his last, you know, his tenure in the UFC, I guess you could say. And it's one of those things that looks impressive in the moment. And then in retrospect, maybe not so impressive kind of a thing. So you don't want to get too caught up in that narrative because it can kind of play both sides on you. But honestly, just, just kind of looking at him, cutting him down the middle. Um, I mean, Santos surprised me in the Theodoro fight, although, you know, the line was off in that fight. I, I did think Theodoro was going to do better, and Santos was able to adapt. It wasn't something that I think he could particularly do. 
Uh, granted, he didn't have the biggest fight time to show. Um, but we've also seen him kind of break. There's kind of an anxiety that, that I'm kind of noticing about him. Now, this is more just me speculating uh, and speculating on a fighter psychology, which is, you know, by many accounts, the most foolish and rightfully so. But I'm just I'm just being honest here and, and with what I see. And I'm starting to correlate maybe that short average fight time that Tiago Santos has with, with the anxiety of, of things going his way or not. And not necessarily with a finish, but just, you know, the general feel of the fight. And Marshman's one of those guys, he's got um, not just, you know, the athletic intangibles as far as technique, knockout power, you know, your basic checklist that you go down. And it's good stuff. It's important stuff. But he has, you know, which I'll be talking about later in the card, um, the attitude intangibles that I like to look for, especially in newcomers, uh, debutantes. I feel that the attitude intangible is real important. And, uh, you know, from watching Jack Marshman and the limited stuff on Cage Warriors and regionally before his last fight, he seemed to have it. He seemed to have it coming in. Uh, during the fight, he seemed to have it even though he got cut, grounded against a scene blood in his uh, debut UFC fight, and it didn't bother him one bit. He carried through. He sought out his objective. And in this post-fight, that swagger was still there. You know, he has that attitude intangible as well. Um, as on the technical side, what I like about this fight, um, volume and volume boxing and, you know, process. I mean, I don't want to say he's reaching because he was fighting a guy like, you know, Seedenblad, whereas he'll be fighting a more uh, measurable guy as far as frame goes in front of him. Uh in regards to Tiago Santo, Santos, obviously. But, but yeah, I, I do generally like it. I mean, uh, he, he shored up a bit. He was a little more conservative and not kind of being too loose with his head movement uh, like he was outside the UFC, uh, would, at least some of the tape that I saw, which is kind of worrisome because what's the best thing to corral or stop head movement? You know, Pat Militich always says, throw a head kick in there, throw a hard head kick. Doesn't matter if it's gonna land or not; it will dissuade that movement. And I think he's gonna, um, I think he's gonna score an upset here. I don't know how big of an upset that's gonna be because he's only a plus one sixty. Uh, as I do think he should be the underdog, but I, just, I think Marshman can do it. I don't see Santos um, taking him to the ground. Uh, Marshman could surprise me and uh, you know force the issue there. He's done it in past fights, but really I, I, I just see his general approach. Um, paying off should he avoid that, that 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 big shot, especially that big shot in the first round. I feel Marshman's um, chances of winning this fight should uh, emphatically go up um, past round one if you're alive better. I'm not really into that, so I'm not the best person to ask, but this seems like an example where I would feel kind of better after a round one. All right, that's going to take us to the next fight that will be also on FS1. Uh, Heginald Vieira versus, uh, hey, Faraz's brother, yep. Uh, I mean Zahabi. Sorry, I probably slaughtered his first name, but uh, but yeah, let, let's let's get the odds on that fight right now. Yep, Vieira is a plus one ninety underdog, and Zahabi is a minus two thirty. Again, um, you know it's a good rule of thumb that um, a many a many I have, and for good reason of you know avoiding keeping your money away from the UFC debutants. And uh, I'm gonna break that rule and break it doubly by I think I have not one but two on um, recommended pieces for parlay. Uh, not because of the price, because that's not how I do things. As you know me, I go by techniques and just going by price in general, you know, for your best bargain, that can lead you down a rabbit hole that does not pay off. So kind of stop short before you find yourself chasing those um, avenues. But again, being a complete hypocrite, self-admittedly here, um, I do feel strong about these guys, not just amongst their contemporaries, which 
yes, does play a role in the fact that it does end up being, you know, um, nothing against females, but you usually don't see female fighters under this because I consider more like the heavyweights. The swings are still uh, strong, but for different reasons. Uh, flyweights are kind of earning that reputation amongst me in that category. And yeah, UFC debutants generally not a safe idea, but I feel good about um, Zahabi. Um, it sounds so cliche, but you just watch watching him fight from his early footage to more recent footage. And well-trained is what comes to mind, and it's completely cliche, but it couldn't be more well on point. I mean, the way that he not only sprawls, but kind of circles off to the proper side of his hips um, to, you know, a slightly different phase of that from the tie clinch, how he's doing, you know, traditional stuff you don't see a lot of guys do, that kind of uh, uh, whipping motion. I know there's better proper terms to it that's not coming to mind, so forgive me for not using those traditional Muay Thai terms, but a lot of times when you're doing those neck wrestling drills in a Muay Thai class, um, a lot of the drills you're going to be setting up, uh, kind of like judo in the clencher, you're, you're manipulating your opponent's weight and you're wanting to guide them into knees, you're wanting to off-base them in the clinch and guide them into knees, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone, and Zahabi shows to do those things. Uh, he keeps his feet under him when he strikes. He shows that jab and ring, the emphasis on jab and ring generalship that is, you know, Faraz drills into his fighters. No surprise that his own younger brother would not have those same attributes. He does. Um, there's a lot to like about this kid. I think, uh, you know, they brought him up uh, slow. He's been around the environment behind the scenes. He kind of has a taste, seen things, and I think he's going to be well prepared, obviously. Um, and, uh, Vieta, actually, I think I took Vieta against Beltran. Maybe not, because um, I, I'm, I'm, I was, I, no, I don't think so. Actually, because I, I, I like Beltran, and uh, I think after his first fight, he kind of earned my respect. But Vieta was, uh, wow, yeah, I mean, he got caught there, but it's, it's, it's tough because you know his inactivity, and you know there is potential there, uh, but you just through that inactivity, the, the, the key things aren't being shored up. Um, even though he throws a variety, he's still throwing very wide. And against a guy who's going to be, again, you know, abusing that center line with his jab, that's going to be bad news. And Zahabi's got some pop to his punches, and it doesn't take long before, you know, he'll follow up with a cross. I mean, um, he's got some stoppages in that fashion, uh, effective at different ranges where, you know, Vieta has to jump in and out, and he's so reckless in doing so in the way that he jumps and, and lances in. He doesn't really you know, do it off the proper angles, doesn't really get his head offline the way he should, and, and again, swinging wide, I just feel he's going to open himself up, and on the ground, despite, you know, whatever credentials and experience he may have on paper, um, I really like what I see from uh, Zahabi there, too, as well. Uh, he will need to be careful, though. I mean, Zahabi's got a good reactive shot to take it to the ground. I think he's going to be able to dictate whether this fight goes to the ground, first of all. But if he does want to take it to the ground, he's going to need to be careful because Vieta has a, has a, has a uh, pretty wicked guillotine, probably his best submission. I mean, I don't know if he's got anybody relevant with it anytime soon. But, um, yeah. But, again, I mean, he's around really uh, smart, strategic, like like his brother. So I'm sure they've studied tape and saw Vieta's uh, weapons there. So that is my uh, recommended um Parlay piece. I also, I believe, put him for uh, inside the distance. Uh, Zahabi. I played. A, I just played. A, I played a half unit, plus one seventy eight inside the distance because I'm not sure if he's gonna be able to sub or, or uh, stop him with strikes. I mean, who knows? He probably could decision him right. I mean, it's, I could be throwing money away here, but I really do feel he's gonna get the stoppage. But again, I'm not gonna follow the rabbit hole too deep. I'm gonna stop just short of it, and play what I feel is safe. 
though what I also feel is a worthy risk here, just just a half a unit on plus one seventy eight on a favorite. I feel good about. Um, probably playing him straight up too, as well. Still minus uh, two thirty. All right, carrying on to the next one on FS one. It's going to be our next parlay piece: Carla Esparza versus Random Marcos. Um, so I don't know if a jetliner fly, flying above. If you hear that or not, because this Yeti microphone is pretty wicked. Um, I got Esparza here. I believe she's the justified favorite as I pull up the line right now. Come on, Tommy. Before the Germans get here. Yeah, Carlos Esparza minus 280, and then the comeback on random Marcos is plus 240. I think that one's about correct here. I really just see this kind of going one-way traffic. I'm not going to waste too much time on it. The over is a bit out of range. It's a minus 330. Um... Um, minus two and a half, and the fight goes to decision. Either way is kind of getting climbing toward the same range. So I don't feel it's worth it. I did play Esparza by decision because that's really the only way I see this going. I put a whole unit on that for juice, minus 145. I felt it was reasonable. Um, I feel like Esparza, a lot of people have that Yen Jacek grind, it's only technically one fight removed because she hasn't been the most active, but we have that Yen Jacek performance burning in our head. Her stand-up actually is not that bad before that. And I do believe it's shown improvements from, you know, the footage uh, of pad work. Although you can't put too much weight in that, granted, obviously, to the limited sample size we saw in the Juliana Lima fight, being that's only one fight removed um, since her loss to Yen Jacek. On that being said, I think it should be more than enough to deal with random markets here. has been camp jumping. She, I thought she might be, go back with TriStar, but I guess she really didn't like it because she went with... Um, Detroit Superstars camp instead in Michigan. That didn't go too well. I believe she dropped both fights being there. And um, now she's with another camp that I'm not too familiar with. Uh, I was looking at it um, the other day. But, yeah, uh, I didn't see any notables as far as coaches, uh, corners, uh, training partners. It could be could be obviously wrong. I'm not trying to be rude or insinuate, but I'm trying to tell you as it is. Nothing to be excited about uh, there for Random Marcos, although, you know, Hey, good for her. She can get the upset. She deserves it. If she does, um, and if Esparza wins, hopefully she fights uh, someone toward the top of the chain because she is amongst the top in that division still. Okay, next and final fight on the FS1 portion of the card. Nordin Taleb versus Santiago Ponzanibio. Um, Ponzanibio comes in pretty strong here, a little too strong, which... Maybe part of the reason what scared me away. Also, I, re I respect Taleb. Um, but yeah, Ponzanibio, I believe he opened in the 300s. I thought it was a bit high. Now he is as high as minus 400. And Taleb with the comeback of plus 325. Taleb had an injury. He was originally slated to face Joe Ban on the July 7th card. Rafael Dos Anjos Alvarez on fight past that epic three-fight weekend. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what the injury was or how bad it was. Couldn't be that bad because he looks like he's been in shape for a minute and training still at TriStar. Um, kind of jack-of-all-trades, master at none, but really can get going and really deceptive, uh, as he showed us in that Silva fight with his counters and, and kind of Muay Thai game. He really does hit with force and... Uh, you know, it does have a process about him, but that process is not a particularly, uh, you know, quick one. Uh, it's not a, it's not necessarily voracious in the appetite with the way he goes about things, and I believe he can be knocked off course with a guy who is pretty voracious in the way he goes about things. That is, yes, Ponzi Nibio Santiago. 
Ponzinibbio. Um, been training at American Top Team. I know he's been improving his get-up urgency and his wrestling's improving the last few fights. That being said, I think I slightly Ed Cummins, who I also thought was underrated to uh, exploit him in the grappling and could not get it done. Pardon me, Ponzinibbio did very well there and just continue to improve in the aforementioned areas as I believe if uh, you know Taleb wants to employ any of those tactics to kind of seal some rounds or scorecards I believe uh, Ponzinibbio can shut him down and his footwork and volume can head him off at the pass uh, I'm not sure if he's going to get the finish or a decision I really kind of just stayed away from this fight I, I, I like both guys I really do like Ponzinibbio here I do believe he's a justified favorite but for the price and for the gut feels and for each man's potential, I'm staying away. And uh, staying away from that and going to refill my coffee cup instead. And maybe you refill whatever it is you're drinking right now, whether it be coffee, alcohol, or otherwise. Um, and yeah, we will be right back here on the Protect Your Neck podcast after this break where we will break down the main card for UFC Halifax. And we're back, right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for UFC Halifax. And before we jump to the main card, just one quick cleanup on the prelim card. Uh, another prop I took was uh, was Marshman because that's you know that's 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 how Welsh people sound right. Um, Marshman by TKO plus two seventy seven. I just took a half unit on that. Um, yeah, that's about it. Everything else was listed was listed properly. Look at that. As we jump to the main card for UFC Halifax and kicking off the main card is Paul Felder versus Alessandro Ricci. Um, yeah, stated bias. Uh, you know, although it wasn't, it was you know, it was a minor role. I did do scouting. Got to come clean. I did do scouting for uh, Alessandro Ricci's team for this matchup. Uh, so take my uh, take my picture painting with a grain of salt. Uh, however, you know, jumble jamble that I can mess up. You know, uh, that metaphor or saying. Yeah. Anyways, there is a bias here. Uh, granted. And yeah, I, I think that Felder is the justified favorite. Um, he could very easily win this fight, as I was initially leaning, you know, leaning toward him. And when I was approached, you know, I told him, you know, hey, if I, you know, come across that, I, I think Felder's going to win. I'm still going to put that in my article. And of course, you know, Richie and his team were great. They're understanding. They're just complete, complete pros. They just wanted, they just wanted some feedback and stuff. But you know, by gone it. I actually, yeah, I, my decision actually ended up swaying by the end of my analysis here. And, and again, not by much. I'm being realistic here. Uh, you know, I, I think Felder, Felder's aggression and output, you know, can easily, uh, can easily, you know, stack rounds for him. Because if you look at Ricci's past, at least in MMA, not so much in the Muay Thai, but his common culprit in the last couple of years has just been really himself. It sounds cliche. His losses only comes to quality guys. He's never been stopped. But when he's been put and suffocated with pressure for, for solid amounts of time, he almost kind of not shuts down, but gets in a defensive shell and just doesn't execute. And, you know, he'll thwart and he'll hang with, you know, opponents arguably the whole time and all that good stuff, but he's not doing things to win the rounds. 
And this was something that, you know, um, that, that I provided in my feedback as well. And, uh, and yeah, so it's going to be really interesting, um, to see how this one plays out because, you know, some of those signs did show in his last fight, but really, uh, Ricci's a real honest dude when it comes to that, you know, a couple of years back, he really addressed it hard and saw some, uh, you know, sports psychologists really did some work on it. The last three fights, I should say back, you saw a turnaround in his performances and kind of what coaches, commentators, etc., would, you know, say long hailed about him. Oh, this guy's got talent in the rooms. He's really wrecking guys, you know, inside. You got to see it. He's just one of those, you know, um, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but I guess Mike Pyle-esque for that kind of example. Um, and all respect to Mike Powell, everybody knows I'm a huge, huge Mike Powell fan. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, that was kind of Richie's rap, but, uh, yeah, he would, he would go on and kind of clean that up, show, show good performances. But yeah, that, that, that you know, that demon almost like looked to rear, rear its head last one, but I don't know if that's a con- condemnable performance because he took that on just short notice, you know, against, uh, Jeremy Kennedy, uh, where he lost the decision and that was, you know, man, Again, bias aside and all that, like, I'm really, like, understanding. I'm not, like, a person who's like, oh, cage humping, I hate it, and separate him, ref, or, you know, stand him up. But, man, that fight was one of them where I was just like, come on, Eve Levine, you're really gonna, you're really not gonna break him up here? And, uh, it was just, you know, it was real clear after a couple exchanges and intercepting knees, Richie was able to land in the first that, uh, Kennedy wanted no piece of it and just just pressed him against the cage. And I'm not trying to hate on Kennedy. I picked Kennedy to win that fight. I like his prospects. It's nothing personal, but it is what it is. I, you know, it is what it is. Watching that fight, uh, Goes is gonna hate me for saying that. I said it is what it is, but um, you know, it's what I should say. That is what you know Kennedy did. I mean, when you go back and look at the fight, and not really. Not really hating on that too much. Even the commentary was in agreement, and it's what he had to do, you know, against against a guy like Richie who's dangerous. You're not going to play his game, understandably. But Paul Felder will, you know. Paul Felder is not a guy who typically adjusts, and he's a guy who kind of jumps around camps, which is not necessarily a bad thing because he's going to camps with people I, I like, you know, Jackson Wink, big fan of Mark Henry. Now he's with Duke Rufus, you know, another high level coach, but. For a guy like Paul Felder, whose common culprit is that he lacks adjustments, I wonder how much adjustments he's going to make for this fight in an environment that arguably caters to his strengths more than any other high-level camp, being that it's a Muay Thai, you know, um, Taekwondo traditional martial arts-based camp with fighters that mix that 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 said profile, and that is Paul Felder, right? Muay Thai and Taekwondo, um, you know, and he's going to be in that environment. Uh, with, 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 you know, with the Pettises and all the all, all the rest of the Rufus Sport House, so that is a question there. You know, that is a question. I'm a big Paul Felder, Felder fan, by the way. Just because I'm doing scouting doesn't mean I'm against Felder here. I've all I've 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 picked him probably almost all of his fights. I think before this, minus no, I picked Ronaldo in his last one. I picked Ronaldo um, to get it done. But but yeah, I'm a big Felder fan, and you know. Um, He's a real tough guy. You can count that he's going to come forward, and his volume and aggression may very well, you know, it's probably why the number is what it is, although I think it's high. I I get it. Uh, but, you know, if Ricci switches his stance and maybe comes out southpaw and does some things here, I, I think he can take a lot of people by surprise and make this fight make this fight really close. Um, he does some real technical frames in the clinch. He's, he's deceptively good off the counter, and when he gets going... Um, I think Felder's going to realize he's in there with a real tie fighter, you know, and if Felder does his his kind of low-handed uh, trunk movement where he does that kind of kind of left to right, um, kind of bad head movement, I dare say, um, 
I think he's going to pay for it because Felder's good at defending and checking kicks, but when he when he's doing that kind of head movement stuff that he's been doing his past like you know four fights or so, his his leg checking and kick checking kind of goes out the window, and I don't think he wants to give free tie kicks to a kicker like Ricci. So we'll see. I played Ricci by decision as a fun flyer because that's like plus 465. I sprinkled a quarter unit. I did put my money from my mouth as I did play Ricci straight up. I'm not just, you know, um, trying to homer here. But I'm always one to state my bias, and I'm always straightforward about that. So please, please, please take that into account to my words. Balance it out. All right, next fight. A little shorter one with bias. Uh, Sarah McMahon is one of the biggest favorites, minus 600 against... My girl, Gina Mazzani, Danger, from Extreme Couture. Really happy for her. She uh, had a brief stint on, the, on Tough, uh, I believe was uh, eliminated by Juliana Pena, the eventual winner. But, uh, you know, went 4-0. Um, kind of took a break, a two-year two year hiatus there. Um, came back last year, I believe in May. Got herself a TKO stoppage. Um, you know, she's been staying in the practice rooms consistently, you know, in shape, improving her game, working with all the talented girls at uh, at Extreme Couture. So I am rooting for Gina here, of course, but as if you read my breakdown, there is no pick as usual. Due to my personal and professional affiliations with Extreme Couture, I just preclude myself altogether from doing any type of breakdowns or write-ups on these fights. So, so sorry. And, you know, with, with the nature of the short notice and all that and the the stacked odds and all this stuff. Uh, hopefully you can forgive me for not going in depth on this one. But uh, go Gina. Aside from that, and by the way, I, I totally am a fan and respect uh, Sarah McMahon and a fan of hers, to be honest. And so is, so is Gina as well. So nothing against Sarah. She's awesome too, so go Sarah. Uh, next fight is going to be, is it Theodoru? Yeah. Yes, Mr. Theodoru. Versus Cesar Fajera. Another fight where I come in leaning toward one guy and end up leaving. I end up leaving with another. Wow, that sounds like a whole scenario. All right. Uh, let's back ourselves out there. Um, yeah, this is one where I come in favoring one person and I end up, you know, going with the other, man. I side with Fajera here. Although, don't get me wrong. I mean, <laughs> I would side with Theodora. I mean, I thought, personally, I thought I was I thought I was straight until, until watching this guy. Jesus. I mean... Novels well deserved. This dude's a stunner. I might I might have to tell my girlfriend to uh, I might have to tell her to turn her head from the TV when his fight comes on. But no, no. I actually, honestly, all jokes aside, I I, I favored Theodoro here. Usually, I always favor the um, the guy with uh, with a more um, with more of a process. The as, as I refer to him as a intelligent tactician because I believe that's what he is. Theodore is really intelligent, intelligent beyond his years, intelligent beyond his experience. Really kind of crazy, not not quite Ninganu freakish, but freakish in his own right for the little technical intricacies that Theo Theodore does well, mainly just his kind of uh offbeat striking, which I see being his best um weapon in this fight if he can manage to go back to it. He kinda offbeated himself with that weird fight against uh, Sam Alvey was which was his last time out. So it was a while ago. It was a bad fight. It can make you skeptical about favoring him. But the guy's in his prime, and he's 28. He's at that age where he should look like a complete different fighter with this much time off. He's at that age where it's not necessarily a bad thing, where he can come back and look good and, and again, like a different fighter. Um, and he's a smart guy, too, so that, that, that parlays into it as well. But uh, just 
the things that you know, he almost looks like he's been doing traditional martial arts for most of his life, Theodoru, because he he when I say offbeat rhythms, it's something that you generally see traditional martial arts artists do because they're not um you know, with a wide variety of, 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 of you know, uh, techniques to the different stances that forms incorporate to the different timings, the different Stand, uh, you know, uh, weight distribution in said stances, the structure of sparring, and so forth. You develop um, unique timing. So a lot of times you'll see guys like Stephen Thompson kind of have you know offbeat times. Robert Whitaker, this guy I point to a lot, is really good at you know kind of uh, offbeat, offbeating his timing. And uh, what Theodore will do is I particularly like is you know he's obviously heavy on his kick attack, but he'll often throw like a power kick, let's say with his right. And a lot of times people, when they step down to shift, they'll step down and punch using that, you know, momentum of the kick coming forward to step down into a punch. Or they'll reset stepping back their kick after throwing it and kind of rechambering it, you know, stepping back into their stance. You know, let's say they threw it from their power size. They're going to step their foot back into the power stance. Um, To counterbalance that kind of motion of of putting their foot down, they will kind of extend their foot well, as I hit my desk and reverberates the microphone. Um, they will extend their foot down and throw their fist on the same side forward. And that's kind of like a counterbalancing action. It counterbalances you back to the ground, resetting your position, as well as throwing a strike that would seem flamboyant and powerless. But actually, since you're going with your economy of movement, it actually plays nicely. You know, and, 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 and could have some pop, although, you know, might not be that it purpose of it sometimes you're throwing those things for just for cover you're throwing these kind of check jabs you know um just to get out of an exchange safely you know because a lot of times when you throw a kick depending on how you throw it when you throw it you can make yourself vulnerable at least leaving the exchange and having to reset yourself while you get yourself kind of your torso back online and balance and uh yeah you know counterbalancing yourself with an immediate shot can help balance you and not a lot of guys do it you know, they have to kind of reset before they throw a shot. So, therefore, their opponents aren't expecting it. Long-winded. I'm sure you lost me about 20 fucking seconds ago. It's all good. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but but yeah, that's what Theodore does. He didn't do too much in his last fight. But I think these little sneaky shots, although they don't do much, could do a lot here um, to maybe, you know, even sway momentum, especially when you consider a guy who's suspect chin, you know. Cesar Fajeda has been dropped five or dropped or stopped in five out of his last seven fights. Not a comfortable statistic that makes me comfortable siding with him, but I did anyways because even though um, you know, it's a, lot, a little more easier to stereotype uh, Fajeda as an opportunist um, with his capoeira, capoeira, he leans on it a lot less. You know, we, we, we saw that inconsistencies. He's kind of camp jumping with uh, Vitor, and, you know, it's hard. I mean, even for an anomaly like Vitor, and even through Vitor's uh, uptrends through through those stages, you know that 2014 TRT tour era, it just you, not not even him can obviously, as you saw, can keep that kind of consistency um, from the camp to camp and sporadic nature. And although they're pretty tight, like I remember seeing Fajeda early when he might have just been early into his MMA career, where they were they're bringing him in to kind of mimic Machida um, when uh, Vitor was kind of cu- coming in for. Uh, when Vitor was coming in uh, back into the UFC for the first time, you know, around that Rich, Rich Franklin fight, and Randy, you know, kind of had Machida, uh, that kind of whole stretch of time between, I think I think that's like 20 UFCs I just named, but yeah. 
Uh, I remember seeing you know a young Fajeda in there and, and, and would jump around. But um, underrated camp, depending who you ask, or maybe depending what fighter is under the spotlight. But uh, MMA Masters, you know, he's really made a turn there. You know, um, especially in his counter game, where like, you know, I guess the other notable name for MMA Masters since uh, you know uh, the late rest in peace Josh Demand is no longer there. Uh, Ricardo Lamas is one of those weird guys who like is almost completely devoid of counters in his game will just reset and circle and, and strike when he's comfortable. He will never counter in you know, with immediacy. He'll always reset first until he's comfortable before firing back. Um, Fajeda not showing that trend. He's showing to, he's showing to parlay his right hook, which was always an effective punch for him, although he wasn't an effective puncher per se, more of a kicker. But now he's parlayed that right hook into a check hook, which he uses to counter or feed into a counter left, which has been seeing some light of day in his last three or four fights, which he's on a three-fight winning streak, which which people, including myself, forget, you know, because we have these these knockout images just burned into our head. But although he's not young and although he doesn't have, you know, although he, he, he doesn't, you know, he's not devoid of mileage by any means, you know, I believe he's still like, what, 32 or so, uh, Fajeda. So, I mean, he's not he's not a, an old dude by any means. Um and yeah, right now the line's sitting Theodora plus 105, which may be even more tempting to take him, especially by decision, which I believe you can get at a plus 303. If you like Theodora, which I don't blame you for liking him, by the way, that was my initial um, pick. I couldn't play it, though. In fact, this is number two of my fights to avoid. Uh, but but again, even though I don't usually side with the opportunist, I think that Fajeda's uptrend is a little more potent, at least at this particular time. His overall ceiling... Although initially it was thought to be higher than guys like Theodore's and many on the roster, I don't know if it's going to end up being higher than Theodore's in retrospect. We'll see where Theodore and Cesar go. But at this point, I feel his trend is just a little bit more potent as he is on paper. The more dangerous man on the feet and on the floor, will he get a submission? I don't know, but I do believe he is the better control artist. I do believe he's the better wrestler to dictate the terms, whether it's defending or takedowns. Um, so when you favor that into the mix, um, if striking doesn't go well for him, if he is getting outpointed, we're seeing a real much more safer game plan where he's neutralizing guys with takedowns and reactive shots that have always been good for Fajeda. He just didn't lean on him as much early. And now maybe working with, you know, Kenny Monday, who I believe, you know, is still there. I don't know. But since I'm working with MMA Masters, I guess is more the point. Fajeda is really exercising more smarter game plans. Um, so yeah, as crazy as it sounds, I'm siding with Fajeda here, and I'm a, I'm a big Theodoro fan, by the way. I really like this guy's intelligence. I hope he um, finds his way to analyst work much later, because he has plenty of time. He's plenty young. So, but 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 uh, I'd be more than happy for a Theodoro win. Canada definitely needs it. They definitely need prospects. Um, this past year, I've been really feeling and sympathizing with my Canadian brothers and sisters. Really love that market particularly because it's hurting and it was once so, so great. So, uh, yeah, hopefully this is at least a good card for Canada and at least gets things going in the right direction, right? It all starts with just one step, a good card. And the next fight we're going to go to is, wow, dead air, uh, Sam Cecilia versus Gavin Tucker. Yeah, okay, this fight... um. Again, I'm I'm being hypocritical. My my, my third and third and final um, 
parlay piece, I have Gavin Tucker, despite being a debutante. I really like this kid, man. Um, you want to talk about, um, you know, athletic intangibles. He he can do all this. You know, he's fast. He's got good footwork. He has a crazy transition game that drops to a, you know, on a drop of a dime. He'll change a level. He'll smoothly go to mount. He'll float to a back mount. He'll transition to, you know, Ivan Salivar, Alan Salivari, Usamar Falhauer style arm bars from the back mount. Arm bars from Mount, um, just real tight in his grappling footage, but comes from a Muay Thai base. Been doing it since a young boy slash early teen, apparently. Um, and was listening to his, one of his interviews earlier this week on Oddsbreaker with my man James Lynch. Shout out to James Lynch who always kills with kills it with his content, but especially this week, my man's just been killing it with content through Oddsbreaker. Another shout out to Oddsbreaker. Uh, first shout out, of course, my man Gabe Killian and and and. and and James Lynch, he's got great, great people over there, and of course James Lynch is fellow Flow fam, Flow Combat, as he's been putting out some killer interviews over there as well. So be sure to follow um, my man James Lynch's work. But he had a great interview, um, which you sh- should check out because if you're hearing this, you still have plenty of time to um, with Gavin Tucker to get familiar with him and. He has that other piece, that athletic intangible in spades. I mean, I thought I was listening to an early Conor McGregor interview, if you know what I'm talking about, when listening to this kid. I mean, he's not getting all crazy into himself with the Mystic Mac. He has the, he, he's really in touch with that humbleness. He understands anything can happen. But at the same time, he has a confidence that can cut through most people in a room. You know, it's it's uh, it's something. I can I can I can feel it. Seeping through the micro, uh, you know, the microphones and through the earbuds and, and into my headspace. Um, this kid's got it in his heart. Uh, and, and watching him fight, it's really impressive. He variates his kick levels well. Uh, he's he's trained in some boxing and he's got some, you know, he's really he can navigate the pocket really well. Um, uh, really nice hooks and crosses, uh, good entries off his jab and level changes. And he really can do it all. Nine and zero, coming with a regional title. Uh, Halifax's own, going to be a hometown hometown guy. Um, I don't believe trains at the biggest gym. Titans, uh, what's it called? Titans something MMA. Boy, Dan, you could pull it up. Uh, couldn't you? Yeah. But uh, he trains, you know, he's a local in Halifax. So this is, you know, he's a debutante. So again, I'm, I'm not trying to get around the obvious here. Uh, yeah, Titans MMA, Canada. But, you know, the Southpaw movement, it, it's... It's hard not to like him against, uh, you know, Sam Cecilia, who doesn't have that much uh, sample size. There's only 0-1 against Southpaws in the UFC, at least, because uh, Gabriel Benitez was his last one. And although Cecilia did something that you want to see, and he tried to, you know, he went to Michigan. Not exactly sure what team he trained with, but he tried to get some high-level Southpaw experience. You know, stuff you want to see guys like that do. And, uh, and yeah, it just it didn't pay off. We saw the same Cecilia, which is the problem. We haven't seen much variation from him. Uh, you know, um, even even being away from uh, Sig Jitsu. Um, and it's kind of vague from his social media and what he's done with this camp. Looks like he's trained at some different places. So we'll see. Maybe maybe that one adjusting now, now he'll show a different fold. But, you know, it's hard to say. He, 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 he swings wide. The trend hasn't been looking good as far as, you know, uh, you know him getting hurt. And uh, I essentially... Um, see Tucker getting it done. I mean, Cecilia has knockout power. You can't underestimate. He could get it done in one shot, which is why 
the main prop here for one unit is uh, Cecilia Tucker does not go the distance for minus 145. For that place, I, I played it straight up, but I think it's beautiful for far, parlay fodder because regardless of which way this goes, I don't see this one going to the distance, crazy as that sounds. And by the way, there's a lot of over and under for y'all that like to play that, a lot of one and a half, probably the most one and a half I've seen in, in some time, as this one is here too. But I don't like the over one and a half for two hundred, or the under one and a half for plus one seventy. I don't like most of the overs or unders. That's kind of per usual. So maybe I'm not the best guy for that. But um, they're at least on five dimes. I'm pretty pretty smart on that. They're that that much that tempt me for a minute. Um, as far as playing overs or unders, but I did play that as the safety um, to kind of double up on my instincts. And since he is a parlay piece, and I do feel strong, I played the inside the distance again. I didn't chase too far down the rabbit hole um, because. Uh, Tucker is a guy that can finish in multiple ways. So uh, I stopped just short and just played the inside the distance line for the value of plus 170. Did a half unit on that. So yeah, the two uh, debutantes, Zahabi and Tucker, I played inside the distance for in the neighborhood of plus 70 at a half unit. And uh, plus 78, by the way, Zahabi. So yeah, neighborhood plus 170 for both those guys. And they both are two of the three parlay pieces with Carla Esparza. So that is that. And we are on to our co-main event, which is Johnny Hendricks. Big rig, Baconator. Oh, the irony. Those in Junkie Nation know what I'm talking about. Johnny Hendricks versus Hector. Show weather, lightning rod, <laughs> lightning Lombard, whatever. Whatever, Hector Lombard. Um... Yeah, Cuban Mike Tyson. Uh, Hector Lombard, who was supposed to do Submission Underground 3, who slaved to do this piece over where like, I dive deep into Hector Lombard's grappling, grappling lineage of Cuban judo and why it's so aggressive, you know, why, he, why it's so aggressive in submissions and diverse in its style. And it's really cool, so hopefully you got to see that for like the 48 hours or so it was on flow before Lombard pulled out at as I believe that a lot of these UFC guys, because with these grappling things now, uh, tournaments and the contracts, they can't they can't afford to be losing losing events. Look at this guy; he's in a co-main slot, and the UFC's having trouble uh, filling their cards and selling you know maybe not selling tickets, but even putting headliners or filling cards. Yeah, they can't be doing that, so it's understandable. Not hating, but yeah, that was that was kind of rough. That was a rough stretch there. Um, but yeah, um, Lombard uh, minus one thirty favorite. And Hendricks plus 110 underdog. I feel that's right. I feel that's right. Uh, I feel pretty good about Lombard here, though. Let's be honest. This thing is two steps dive, uh, two steps shy from a force 10 shit storm, right? Real fast, the proverbial shit could hit the fan uh, in this one, especially if Lombard doesn't finish in the first round as I see him doing. Uh, you know, the Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup's interesting, you know, I don't I don't feel it's gonna play too dramatic of a factor given how these guys kinda of play with Southpaws and their in their limited sample size, but let, let let's take a look at it because you know me, I always pull up them Southpaw versus Southpaw stats. Hendricks is two and four against USC Southpaws where you know Lombard's only 0 and one. Again, not a big sample size to pull from. Although I will say Hector's lumber uh, uppercut will be the biggest thing affected by this stance meeting, as I see that being the shot to look out for. Uh, Lombard's usually classically setting up with his corralling right hooks or throwing on his checks and countering or coming forward with that clean up hitting left hand. 
Uh, uppercuts, though, he likes to throw with a lead hand. Unfortunately, you know, he mainly faces orthodox fighters, so that uppercut's not very, um, it's not there a lot unless unless you like, you know, unless you like throwing it as a lead from a certain angle. I know a lot, a lot, a lot of people like doing that. Um, but I feel that that lead uppercut will be there for Lombard in the southpaw versus southpaw matchup against orthodox fighters. Lombard was oftentimes having to. Uh, shift inside of the clinch, and then he would throw that uppercut off the right side. He would like shift into an orthodox stance just to kind of line up and throw it. Uh, now he'll be lined up with another southpaw, so there'll be more opportunities to find uppercuts in general, especially that lead-handed uppercut. He can kind of play with that more. And when you look at Johnny Hendricks, um, he kind of leans forward, whether he's looking for takedowns, whether it's just kind of, uh, you know, a lot of guys, when they exit the space, they almost kind of will move their hips back and their head will kind of hunch forward as they'll lean forward off a reaction. He does a little bit of that. And even though Hendricks' defense has improved steadily over the years, he doesn't really move his head aside from forward. He's really just doing shells and extended hand parries, which the extended hand parries, of course, will feed into Lombard shots over the top and around the guard. And the shell defense... Typically opens up body shots and uppercuts. So again, back to that uppercut to watch out for. Does Johnny still possess knockout power? I'd like to think so. You know, we haven't seen it in a while. We haven't seen that vaunted power in quite some time, which is weird. But hey, it, it could still happen. Lombard has been uh, stopped in his last two for a guy who had been stopped in a while. He's 39 now. I mean, th these are... He's an athletic outlier, but flags are flags. And he's certainly facing them, right? So... Uh, yeah, Lombard could very easily go down here, um, but 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 I don't I don't see it. Um, I see him uh, dictating where this fight goes, and Johnny Johnny's got a great takedown ability, but he generally favors takedowns against the fence, a place that's kind of hard to get Hector unless he's dead tired, and he favors double legs, which even at this advanced stage of Hector's career, I still feel he has one of the better reactionary sprawls in the sport. He's kind of a freak with that. So it'll be interesting to see if Hendricks, who can do single legs, if he's going to take a page out of Okami's book, because Okami was successful with single legs, you know, even though Lombard has that freakish aforementioned base. Um, this stout man of his stature uh, seemed to struggle with single leg attempts, you know, from a, from a, from a structural and lever leverage standpoint that was giving him issues. So it'll be interesting to see if Johnny employs that. But even if he gets him on top, I just... Ever, ever since he stopped, team takedown fell apart, A, and slash B, off of that equation, not working with Mark Lehman, everything's been going downhill, especially his ground. I mean, even though he finally went back to his wrestling roots in his last fight against Neil Magny, he, is, he was allowing for an... He wasn't being as tight as he normally is, technically, from check boxes to just literally tight, like with pressure, because he was allowing Magny to have enough play to play back at him, where Magny was able to steal the ends of round one and round three, which was the only explanation, at least, whether you agree with it or not, for him winning the fight, because he was able to play back at him enough with enough space to catch triangle catches, which were able to capture, if not the submission, crucial, crucial rounds. So, uh, yeah, Lombard takes limbs home with them. He likes the Ashigarami leg lock. Um, we'll see if he goes for it. We will see, but I I, I think Lombard gets it gets it done early. Um, Lombard by KOs plus two hundred five if you feel me. But I put this one on my third fight to the avoid uh, third and final fight on the fights to avoid list. So that is my take there, and we are on to the main event as we have 
Derek Lewis, who comes in, at least currently, they've been like minus 115 neck and neck all fight week. Uh, Derek Lewis, the line's slightly starting to match from what I think is the general perception. A lot of people feel in Lewis. I don't blame them. I love Lewis. Uh, wouldn't be li- wouldn't be lying if I was rooting for him here. Would be would be lying if I said he wasn't my official pick uh, initially. But uh, I got Travis Brown who comes in at the minus one hundred five compared to Derek Lewis's minus one fifteen currently on five dimes. Um, although this one's not officially on the avoid list, it's a heavyweight MMA, right? I mean, how how sure can you be? How sure can you possibly be with over one and a half and under one and a half at minus one ten? No one knows what the fuck to think here. Um, but when I broke this down further on paper, I mean, as I suspected, it wasn't a surprise. Brown is the more well-rounded. He's the more technical man on paper. He should win this fight on paper, but it doesn't always work out that way in MMA, especially heavyweight MMA. Uh, that being said, I still I still like Brown here. In fact, I think Brown, I think Brown's gonna submit him. In fact, um, you know, could Brown get iced on the feet? Absolutely. I think, uh, speaking of uppercuts, I think Derek Luce's uppercut's going to be well worth looking for. Brown, who doesn't have the greatest defense, he uh, typically is hit by right hands over the top because, you you know, even though he tried to make improvements on head movement when you when he's thinking defense, when he's reacting, unfortunately, he reacts the same way as he, as he, he always does and as most tall guys do by putting their head straight back up as they back up, making him eat rights whenever someone throws more than two punches in succession at him. He's eating them. Uh, on the flip side, Brown tends to go forward, like I kind of talked about Hendricks, where he shells and kind of comes forward, where I see um, Derek Lewis's, Lewis's uppercuts from hell kind of having some effect, is Derek Lewis will do that Orlovsky thing where he'll uppercut overhands and, and or, uh, alternate, variate uppercuts and overhands from his right hand very well. Uh, Derek Lewis does the same, so look for that, but, you know, say what you will about Darvidian. He did improve his boxing, and thankfully, Tarvidian, though, is not working with Brown for this camp, although I believe Brown said he was. Brown was doing the majority of his camp, uh, I believe, here at, at Ricky Lundell's secret spot. He's been coming to Vegas for a minute to work with Lundell or my former coach, uh, Neil Melanson. And this camp, been working with a bit with uh, Sugar Ray Cepho. That's right, Extreme Couture's own world champion kickboxer k1 former mma fighter all-time badass supreme sugar ray cepho um a really good striker when you think about it for a guy with uh, travis brown style and sensibilities so uh, just the kind of guy to sharpen him up nothing too drastic sharpen up the stuff that travis brown or a guy like travis brown should be doing not too sporadic and not too bread and butter basic so that will be really interesting to see um how that unfolds but I see uh, Travis Brown having success. I know you're thinking, but but Derek Lewis, uh, no one can hold him down, and you're, you're you know, or you're right. It's very hard to hold down, but people have people from a lower level have, and he has gotten better. In my breakdown on mixedmartialanalyst.com, I explain in deep how Derek tripods up. Um, as someone who favors is a fan of kind of turtling out the stand, if you have anybody who can knows how to tripod, they are a nightmare to deal with, and. I was taught by one, um, Patrick Bijan. Shout out to Patrick Bijan. He's one of three black belts under the aforementioned Neil Melanson, who's trained, uh, who's trained, or Travis Brown is trained under. Neil Melanson's three black belts, by the way, Frank Trigg, Randy Couture, and yes, the third, as the Harley Davidson will rev here and and uh, second me. 
Wait for it. Wait for it. Come on, buddy. Give another one. Let everybody know you're home. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, we know. We know. All right. Now that that's done. Um, <laughs> God damn it. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Um, the third black belt under him is uh, Patrick Bijan, former uh, roommate and buddy of mine. Shout out, Pat. Pat's probably one of the most painful guys pound for pound to grapple with. I mean, you can be on top of him in half guard and you're hurting somehow. Um He's a guy who taught me a lot about kind of how to tripod up effectively and kind of disrupt guys, different chains from there. And, and kind of just the main principle the whole time is keeping yourself, you know, your back slanted at that proper angle so it's like muscle memory. And Derek Lewis does so. You know, he keeps his back, kind of, I explained in my breakdown, like a, a really slanted ski slope. So by the naked eye, you're like, oh, he's inviting a back take. But no, you jump for a back because you get greedy just like everybody else does, right? Right? Um just like everybody does, we all do it in grappling. The backs are like, ah, oh, we jump for it and we fell off, especially when, when we're in the heat of a moment. Um, you see it all the time. And when you keep your back slanted, it's like a trap because you just fall down the mountain when they try to take your back. You lose position, they fall in front of you, and now you're on top. So it looks like you're vulnerable and you're essentially baiting them to uh, ultimately be the vulnerable one. I like it a lot. And uh, Lewis just uses it to get up brilliantly. He doesn't get too technical with it, just does it fundamentally. Keeps his base underneath him. And, uh, you know, we saw black belts like Gonzaga and Roy Nelson, who I both have a lot of respect for and like a lot, they struggled to keep him down. They weren't able to submit him down. Why? Why? Why will Travis? And you can make, you know, arguments or criticisms and, and comparisons and retrospect all you want to p people and points in their career. But I honestly feel it was more just the frames of, of, of guys, especially uh, Nelson, because Nelson's head was in the right place. He went for his back, but, um, you know, not to pick on old Roy's belly, but uh, you kind of saw, you know, um, not exactly built to back tick like a juicy formiga. Oh, that'd be pretty badass if like Hoy, if Hoy Nelson. Yeah, he would be Hoy Nelson if he was doing back ticks like formiga. I'd call him Hoy for the rest of his days. But as good as Roy is, he's not exactly built for back taking, and that's just no knock. That's just that's just you know physicality right there. Brown, on the other hand, not just has the frame, the long frame to use his own levers to disrupt Derek's posts and levers. But as someone who has worked with Ricky Lindell, but more importantly worked with Neil Melanson, I know those guys really emphasize on those fundamentals of posts and levers. And uh, I have to imagine they're working that with Travis as far as taking those away. Now, even though Travis's main sample size of recent ground advancements have been against compromised uh, opponents, uh, Matt Mitrione in that crazy, <laughs> crazy fight, and... Um, Brendan Shabu was already rocked as well uh, by the time it hit the ground. You know, Brown did show, you know, sturdiness in his mouth. He showed the gift wrap um, uh, on Shab. He showed these little technical intricacies that show me he's picking up the things that Lundell and Melanson have been teaching him over these past years and past training camps. And I think we haven't, I've long suspected, I should say, we haven't seen the best of Travis for quite some time. Uh, you can make that argument for his performance, but I'm, I'm speaking specifically about his grappling specifically and honestly about his grappling and I think he's going to show it here I think he has the most motive to show it here and if he can stop that tripod and turtle and 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 and, and disrupt these levers um I think I think he can I think he can wear wear Lewis down and score himself a submission um Lewis is a real mental guy I mean that's kind of why it's impressive that he's able to get late finishes because he doesn't have as much first round finishes as you would expect a guy like his sensibilities he doesn't rush people like he 
did his matrimonial fight and other fights early on, he's actually started off a lot of his fights pretty measured. Um, but uh, but I think there's a lot of and I and again I love Derek Lewis, uh, but I do think there's a lot of mental there, and you see it, you see the ups and downs. You don't know if he's kind of joking or not because a lot of times I'll be joking, and other times he's not. He's just he's genuinely upset he couldn't get the food that he wanted. Uh, despite having the win, or he's generally upset with the way the win went, despite getting the win, or et cetera, or, you know, talking about his personal life where he always kind of bleeds in, you know, despite as much as he talks about sex, like he's the goddamn juggernaut character. By the way, every time I hear Derek Lewis, I just, if you, there's like a spy cam on me while I'm watching one of his fights, I'm like doing commentary, like that juggernaut viral video. If you guys remember on YouTube like a decade ago where they, I'm the juggernaut, bitch. Yeah, look at my suit. I'm ready to fuck. And that—that that essentially is Derek Lewis. And like, damn, that's a—that's a really cartoonish stereotype, and it is. But as Derek Lewis, one of the arguable breakout stars of 2016, would show us in interviews and through his Instagram and Twitter feed, he essentially is that guy. I mean, he's always talking about his piece. He's always talking about sex and where to put his piece and women and all that stuff. And yeah, I don't know where I'm gonna put it. I just—I just use it. And it's just you don't know what. <laughs> Yeah. All right, Ben. Ben's getting excited for the Black Beast, but um, but yeah, you know, he's just he's just this character. But at the same time, he'll slip in like nuggets there, like real like you think he's having like real relationship problems. He'll kind of kind of cue in like you know um, he's in a serious relationship, then he's out of that said serious relationship, and how it affects him. And I know you can't look too much into these things. I don't suggest you do. And it's really none of our business at the end of the day, but if the guy's putting it out there and if there is a correlation in the performances, then I, I tend to look at these things because I consume everything like the madman that I am. And, um, and yeah, I mean, look, as much as we all love Derek Lewis and as much as he's, in, he's endearing, um, even in the dark ways, as my sick, twisted head has put on him, he's endearing. He's an endearing guy, right? Um, that doesn't change the fact that he's, a, he's an impulsive heavyweight fighter okay <laughs> impulsive fighter may be a, a maybe a redundant statement there but uh but yeah and that's not a knock i mean i just i'm an impulsive person myself and i i know the type and i've been hitting the head too much myself too but yeah Derek lewis is a wild man is what i'm trying to say and i'm trying to say it in the most honest endearing way possible almost believe it or not respectful ways possible and uh, we can't forget that at the end of the day. And even though I'm back in Brown to get it done by submission here, I'm not forgetting that this is a heavyweight fight at the end of the day. So don't play anything too heavy in this one. Definitely keep your parlay money away from it. But I did put a fun flyer because I'm putting my money where my mouth is, albeit a quarter unit. On the second and last fun flyer of the card, I usually don't do more than two of these, to be honest. They're fun flyers for a reason. But there is purpose behind it, as I have Travis Brown. By submission, plus 885. Yeah, I got greedy. I, I went down the rabbit hole. I didn't stop the short. But, Dan, you were telling us to stop short the whole time. Well, I well, I went in. I went deep. I was like Gary Oldman at the end of Professional. Everyone. No, not really. I didn't go that deep. Fucking shout out. Top five villains, baby. Gary Oldman. The chameleon. The professional. Great movie. Great, great movie. Speaking of uh, movies and, and top fives, we gotta do a top five list. I think we'll use that for the for the for next week. Maybe um, if I can't find a guest, I'll get uh, get my good old bud Jake Killian. Maybe I'll bug him on. And uh, if you guys want a top five list, by the way, 
Oh, by the way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Official pick is Brown to close out the main card. Um, yeah, if you want a, a top five list or any ideas, submit your ideas. Like, hey, Dan, why don't you do you know top five featherweight wars or do top five ring entrances or do top five worst referee calls? Oh, that's a lot of homework. Please don't suggest that one. Use hashtag Protect Your Neck Podcast to submit your suggestions or to submit for our submissions in transition segment where I will read top fives if it's a top five episode for these breakdown episodes, although y'all were a bit light on it, although I don't want to argue because, hey, I'm still getting a feel for it too uh, as far as when to post it, how to post it at the right times, etc. So please give me some feedback. Um, I take accountability there too, but yeah, there, there, there wasn't big participation in the submissions and transitions, so we won't have any. But that doesn't mean you can't ask any in the future, whether you have a, a hot take on an upcoming fight, a hot take on, on, on a past fight, a question on something technical prior as far as, you know, a betting line. Do you see a submission coming to fruition? If how so, if not, why not? Or post tense, you know, how did they get to that submission? What's your take? I don't think it was that deep or was it, the, you know, was it that good, etc. And I will give you my opinion that will probably just confuse you more and i'd be happy to do that because that's what we do here in the protect your neck podcast no just kidding i will try to make it insightful and hopefully shed light on it um if not it'll encourage me to better myself and get the answers myself because i do that uh i try to do that at least anyways because you, you can't stop getting better uh, i'm i am forever a white belt um no, no matter what what anyone, anything, or anyone else may say to me, you, or anybody else, I think it's a good way to go about life. Just treat yourself like a white belt uh, and uh, and keep learning. Um, the next one's going to be UFC 209. That'll be the next one, March 4th. That'll be fun. Uh, hopefully, I think I got some podcasts lined up to jump on some people's, maybe have something special lined up, have a special coach or fighter or a special round table of the people that are going to be in town. Uh, I can arrange some of that. Again, um, I'll probably arrange something on my own because this is my sailing sailing pirate ship, my sailing shit show, if you will. But if, if you want to have say on that, again, use hashtag Protect Your Neck Podcast and you can say stuff so I can stop rambling. And on that note, I am going to get the F out of here, make myself some breakfast, something that would make Walt Jr. shake in his boots, a little bit of Breaking Bad for you there. And uh, we will see you for UFC Halifax. Make sure you're following me at the MM Analyst. Make sure you are following the podcast at the PYN Podcast. All my uh, analysis articles, if they don't come out on Flow Combat, they come out on MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. And if they, wherever they come out, they will eventually find their way to MixedMarshallAnalyst.com when it's appropriate uh, in the appropriate content. That is because it, you know, I want myself to have a life there and. Uh, I make sure to get that worked out for y'all. You can get the podcast there. We are coming to SoundCloud soon, I assure you. We have a project working there. Until then, you can download this on iTunes. Favorable rating reviews would be nice. I'm starting to bank a couple of these. I feel like I can at least ask you, at least for some honest feedback. Uh, there's no gun in your head to say anything nice. You can say what you want, but hey, positive positive stuff really means a lot. It counts for a lot. So please let me hear it. Let me have it. And until I talk to you on Twitter, until the After Party Edition... Stay warm and protect your neck. Stay warm. It's not as if you're going to give us a fucking sweater now, is it, Dan? Why is this a shite show?